0: This podcast is brought to you by the College of Nursing at Brigham Young University. For more information about its programs, faculty, students, or alumni events, please visit nursing.byu.edu.
1: The saying, the buck stops here, derives from the slang expression, pass the buck, which means passing the responsibility onto someone else. Today, we meet a chief nursing officer who believes in the buck stopping with him. He takes responsibility for his staff and does whatever he can do to make them successful. We'll explain with today's show. Hey everyone, I'm Eliza Joy.
0: And I'm Ryan Larson.
1: Together we will explore nursing careers and professional insights.
0: With exclusive interviews for nurses working jobs that you want to know about.
1: Transferring info from one nurse to another.
0: This is The College Handoff. You may use the phrase, the buck stops here, to say that a problem is your responsibility and that you are not expecting anyone else to deal with it. The slogan was popularized by U.S. President Harry S. Truman, who kept a sign with that phrase on his desk in the Oval Office. It refers to the notion that someone has to make difficult decisions and accept the ultimate responsibility for those decisions. Today, we talked with Dr. Kevin McEwen, the Chief Nursing Advisor for the Madsen Memorial Hospital in Idaho. He discusses the role of a CNO and the responsibilities that come with it. You know, things like advising senior management on best nursing practices, creating retention programs, and building morale for his staff. Let's get started.
1: On today's episode of The College Handoff, we get to hear from Dr. Kevin McEwen, who is a chief nursing officer. So thank you so much for coming on the show today.
2: Absolutely. Glad to be here.
1: Um, So, Kevin, I wanted to start by asking um, just a really basic question. Uh, What does a chief nursing officer do?
2: That is a fantastic question. And every day the answer kind of varies. But um, (laughs) in principle, the chief nurse is an overall uh, clinical practice uh, policy and uh, meeting regulatory responsibilities for an organization, a hospital. Um, Interesting enough, chief nursing officers are required by Medicare and Medicaid for hospitals that um, receive those funds. And so it may be the only position at a hospital that's actually regulated by law.
1: Wow. So if you're um, over a hospital, how many nurses and staff are you supporting and overseeing? And can you put into perspective how many patients and beds are in the facility that they're they're serving?
2: Yeah, so obviously that varies from facility to facility, hospital to hospital. Most Mm -hmm. chief nursing officers have a cadre of directors that report to them that oversee um, areas like outpatient services, ambulatory clinics, inpatient services, mom-baby, ERs, ORs. Um, all of those kinds of things, and then in smaller hospitals like I'm in Rexburg, Idaho at Madison Memorial, um, I have responsibilities outside of just nursing for all clinical services such as laboratory, imaging, physical therapy, occupational therapy, um, and and the like. So so that 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 job kind of changes, but in most cases, uh, chief nurses have um, a, a team of of directors of nursing that actually oversee those service lines that report directly to them. And so in a small hospital like mine, I've got five directors who oversee all of those um, service lines. And in those service lines, there are over 250 nurses.
1: Wow. So you're involved in um, advising senior management on best nursing practices. And what are some of the decisions or topics you've discussed recently, or what's something that um, has kind of been the focus lately for you?
2: Well, unfortunately all things are covid right now it seems yeah. like and even though we we try to uh, look at clinical best practices and 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 patient care environments that will support our our staff best uh, lots of times it comes back to how do we do that um in the in the in the environment of covid but but some of the recent practices that we've been involved in and um you'll see from my introduction and and anybody who looks me up that I'm very focused on clinical excellence through principles such as the magnet organization or pathway to excellence. And both of those uh, regulatory nurse excellence programs have standards that – hospitals that are seeking those designations really follow. And they have things to do with like shared governance, making sure that the nurses on the front line have a voice, that they're involved in practice councils and unit councils, education and research councils to really make sure that the nurses are represented and that um, that we're impacting uh, nursing practice uh, through principles that are really evidence-based. And so that's one of the things that I always encourage uh, new nurses and students to look for in employment opportunities is look for those organizations that that are really founded in, uh, those principles and standards of nursing excellence that are found in, uh, organizations like ANCC's Magnet Program or ANCC's Pathway to Excellence Program.
1: What does retention programs, what do those look like for keeping nurses engaged, um, having a positive attitude, and helping them prevent fatigue, burnout, especially during COVID.
2: Yeah, I think that the the best retention programs are really making sure that staff are cared for and caring for themselves. And so, you know, lots of organizations are using um, uh, social workers, not just around on patients, but to actually take care of staff, and to make sure that they're doing well for the day. We, we do that as Nursing leaders as well, making sure that the staff have the resources and support that they need. Um, that's always a challenging environment right now. And then I think kind of making sure that new nurses and experienced nurses have mechanisms within their their outside life that give them balance. And so whatever it is that they do to to manage their own well being. That that we highly encourage those things, and so for me, it's it's uh, even asking staff, how are you doing? What are you doing outside of work to really recenter yourself? And um, whether that's you know just taking good care of their their physical well being um, through diet, and exercise, and sleep, um, or talking to somebody, um, a trusted friend, a mentor, counselor, um, somebody that they can just kind of vent to because. They're they're really dealing with a lot of traumatic uh, experiences and exposure right now, and they need to have a good sounding board um, to make that happen. And like I said, in, internally in the hospitals, we're making sure we've got teams that are rounding on staff to make sure that they're doing okay. Um, it's far more than just making sure that they have the appropriate PPE or, or staff support. Um, sometimes it's giving them permission to take a day off to take a weekend off, to get away and take a vacation, um, because we really do need them at their best when they're here at work. I
1: wanted to ask specifically if there's something more companies could do to show support and appreciation for their, their nursing staff. Um, was there anything else you wanted to kind of add to that or something more, um, any other specific things you wanted to say about supporting the staff?
2: Yeah, well, I don't think there's ever a threshold of recognizing, rewarding, and and showing appreciation enough for for our clinical staff, and that goes beyond just nurses. Um, that is our our respiratory therapists and and even our physicians that are in the thick of of uh, dealing with um, uh, a lot of high pressure um, care right now, and I think always, and so. I think that there are some, you know, principles and programs out there that that are really showing that rewards and recognition for staff that are showing up every day and in some cases going above and beyond Um, some of the programs that I highlight are. Um, the Daisy Foundation that recognizes nurses and it's an opportunity for patients and their families to recognize the good work that nurses are doing and that's been really a thrilling opportunity for me personally as a chief nurse to invite that patient or family to come back to the hospital or even be there virtually right now to tell their story and and let nurses know how their everyday work really impacted the the care and the the livelihood of of our our patients and their families, and so, you know, those types of of formal recognition programs are really important. But all kinds of even informal, you know, just um, statements of appreciation through notes, cards, letters, emails, texts, messages, all those things mm-hmm. go go a long way in just making sure that our staff um, and and our nurses feel appreciated.
1: So, um. I, I want to know, do you attend hospital board meetings?
2: I do regularly each month.
1: Um, how? So you're talking about supporting the nurses. Um, how do you represent the interest of the nurses while maintaining an, the interest of your employer? How do you balance kind of those two things?
2: Yeah, well, fortunately, I work in a community hospital that is non-for-profit. Um, it's a county-owned hospital. So that's a lot easier in my, my setting because I don't feel like um, representing the nurses is anything different than representing the organization. But from a, from a clinical nurse leader perspective, one of the opportunities I have is to demonstrate to our board the good works that um, our staff are doing and some of the outcomes um, for our patients. And um, in a community hospital, Every patient that we care for is a neighbor, friend, or relative. And so being able to share some of that quality data and some of the positive outcomes that we're seeing in in patients um, um, getting good care and and surviving and and living and thriving um, despite difficult medical diagnoses, I think is kind of a a neat opportunity for me. Um, I always give lots and lots of credit, full credit to, to our nursing staff. But it's, but it's myself as a chief nurse and other chief nurses across the country that get to represent um, our direct care nurses um, to boards of nursing and, and to um, accreditation and, and regulatory leaders all the time. And so um, I, I'm fortunate to, to work in an organization that um, my board of directors are, are usually coming to me saying, what more can we do to support the staff rather than me going pro- pro- proposing. Um, ways that uh, we need them to support our, our nursing staff for. So it is an opportunity to represent our direct care nurses in a unique way to kind of our public um, facing board of, of trustees.
1: I want to know how you became a chief nursing officer and what type of education, training and certification you needed to, to get there.
2: Yeah, so I've been a nurse for 28 and a half years. <laughs> Sometimes I add that half year in because the last half of the last half a year in the last six months and even 18 months in COVID has been some of the most challenging. But um, my background experience is I'm a uh, bachelor's prepared and uh, um, primary nurse and uh, worked in the med surge and uh, adult critical care environment early in my career. Um, I really wanted to get back and teach, and so I went back for a master's degree very early in my career and took opportunities in nursing education. In fact, I was an adjunct faculty for Brigham Young University College of Nursing for a total of 14 years. I didn't teach every one of those 14 years, and then I was a full um, associate um, assistant professor uh, for a couple years on campus before going back into hospital leadership. But um, so I have a master's, and I, I just recently completed my doctorate of nursing practice. I am certified as a nurse executive, um, and that's kind of the certification that is required for a, a chief nurse position. But, but my uh, promotion or, or pathway in being a chief nurse is really just um, stepping up and volunteering um, for committee and council, positions early in my career and then seeking out opportunities to to lead um in nursing and and those doors and opportunities have just opened up over and over again so um most chief nurses you know obviously masters prepared at a minimum Uh, many many of my colleagues are now doctorally or phd prepared and and certified in their clinical specialty or their um Their leadership specialty, and so that's kind of the avenue and opportunity. And it's uh, um, nursing leadership has given me an opportunity to really make a difference and to really support nurses um, from a a different perspective uh, than maybe I understood as a as a new nurse. I don't think as a new nurse or even a student nurse, I I even knew that that there was such a thing as a chief nurse, and um, it's not necessarily something I aspired too early, but have been given opportunities to lead um, over and over again that have got me to the point where I am uh, in a chief nurse position now.
1: So I imagine that teaching experience would help you gain some of those leadership skills, but um, what other ways do your teaching experiences, how do they help you in your job now?
2: Well, I think everybody understands that uh, to be a good practitioner, you uh, you have to have the knowledge and experience and background to do that, and um, the opportunity to teach um, always makes you a good uh, practitioner. And so, I'm um, I'm very focused on nursing education and scholarship, um, and uh, um, academic uh, progress. Uh, so, kind of the lifelong learner perspective uh, of nursing, and really promoting that. So, definitely me being in the classroom, either as a student for over 30 years or um, teaching um, various uh, topics and, and, and subjects in undergraduate and graduate programs have really helped me be uh, a more well-rounded leader in understanding what's current and what's evidence-based research um, within nursing. And uh, making sure that we're practicing that when we are caring for patients um, in in each of our practice settings.
1: So I know that some of our students may not be aware that um, becoming a chief nursing officer is something they could do with their career. So what advice do you want to share with someone who's maybe considering this career or hearing about it and thinks it's interesting? Um, Do you have any advice for those kinds of students?
2: Yeah, I think it's always difficult in nursing to find your passion. There are many um, students that, that enter uh, a nursing program thinking that they want to be a specific type of nurse when they, when they get out. And um, many do stick with that, and they, they really are focused on, on that ambition. But many of our students are trying to figure that out, even up to the last semester and in their first years of practice. And um, so I do think that it's important to find your passion. And um, wherever that is to then apply yourself and get the, the training certification and education that you need to to do that. And so um, for me personally, um, it was early on in, in my practice that I saw nurse leaders who I started to really aspire to be like, um, had some strong mentors early in my career and. Um, that were in nursing leadership positions that I didn't even know existed, and um, they they really showed a a, a path for for nursing um, executive nursing and and nursing leadership, and so I think that's that's what I advise new student new grads and and student nurses is to you know seek out those opportunities and 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 discover what your passion is. If it's leadership, find a mentor in that in that arena and they'll guide you and give you the direction. um, If that passion is in women's services or oncology or ambulatory services, um, cardiac services, you name it, um, you know, there are plenty of opportunities for employment. But I think one of the best things I would tell people to do is to find a mentor in that area and have them coach you and, and help you develop. I still have a couple of mentors that anytime I'm at a point of making a decision, whether it's a career move or um, a, pos- a position to, to be held within um, nursing leadership, I reach out to these folks and say, you know, is this a good thing? It, what, what do you advise me to do? What's your direction? And over these 30 years, those same um, solid mentors have really made a difference in advising me and, and, and encouraging me to, to do the right things.
1: Well, thank you so much for your encouraging words and for sharing with us today.
2: You bet. It's my pleasure.
1: Whether it's noticing, interpreting, responding or reflecting, we want to hear from you. Share HIPAA compliant examples of how you think like a nurse for your chance to receive unique prizes. Email nursingpr at byu.edu to participate.
0: Today with us, we have Brandon Thatcher. He's one of the amazing faculty members at the BYU College of Nursing has. Brandon, welcome to our podcast. Thank you
3: very much for your time, for
0: letting me come. Yeah, no, we're always happy to have our faculty members on. You guys have some really great wisdom. Um, we want to just briefly go over the uh, Tanner's Clinical Judgment uh, campaign that the college has been running recently and maybe get some of your thoughts on it and how it's been going. How have you seen that work in your classroom as you've been teaching and observing clinicals and things like that?
3: Yeah. So we've um, been implementing it into class into clinical. And I think at the first of the semester, a lot of students were saying, what is that? <laughs> Cause it's new for them mm-hmm. and it's new for us. We're all trying to, jump on board this train. Uh, It's evidence-based. It is something we're all doing. And we're trying to do it in a united front um, that's being led out by, you know, our deans. And so it's been fun to see. We've got, sometimes we just redid assignments or relabeled them to try and highlight these Words to try and create a new language to, to talk about everything in reference to noticing, interpreting, responding, reflecting, right? And so, um, it's I think been just a learning process for for everybody. But there's I think really good things that are going to come out of it.
0: Yeah, no, I can tell as well. And I think I kind of hit the um, the nail on the head there. It seems like a lot of these things that nurses are doing or things they're going to do in their careers. And by kind of labeling moments as reflection moments or responding or interpreting moments, it kind of almost prepares nursing students to start thinking like a nurse, obviously, but then also be able to take some of the knowledge that they're learning in a classroom and apply it in a more practical setting kind of underneath this framework that, that we have going, which is super exciting. Why do you think um, the college of nursing started something like this. What do you think was missing that we now have that um, Tanner's clinical judgment framework is is answering?
3: Consistency. We all talked about, um, you know, how to go about helping people. That's what nursing is—a helping profession. But we talked about it in different ways, and this helps us be consistent with how we talk about it. And hopefully, over time, we all get a general feel for what we mean with each of these words. I think that will help students. They're just going to get the same message right. from class to class. they
0: are not learning a new set of vocabulary for different You're professors. You're a student. You know
3: how that goes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> As you start a semester, it's like, I have to learn not just the subject, but I have to learn this professor right. and what they're looking for and so forth. And how they're talking about something might be different than last semester. but.
0: Yeah, well, that's a great point. I guess another good reason to be using these and trying to understand how to how to interpret them in your classrooms and, and in your clinicals. Okay. What have you been hearing students talk about? Have you had any cool experiences with students and their experiences with using this framework on how to
3: become better nurses? Okay, so here's the story that uh, so Sam he He completed one of our typical assignments. It's a psychosocial assessment on this forensic unit. And he was um, interested in doing his assessment on a particular patient because the more he got to know him at work, the more he suspected there was no mental illness at all, which was very unlikely because this patient had received two separate assessments from trained psychiatric professionals that were diagnosing this person with a mental illness and he had committed a crime. So he was admitted to this, to this unit. And I also told him that it's unlikely that there's nothing going on. That's a mental illness, but I still said, let's see what we can find out. And, I went and talked to the patient, and then he talked with the patient and did his psychosocial assessment. Um, and so this patient had not paid for a snack at a convenience store. Um, police got involved. Eventually there was some aggression, and then they involved the psychiatric assessment um, after jail, and that's when he got admitted to this unit. So Sam, he just noticed again and again that this patient was so normal (laughs) and he was really interested to learn more about him and what was his background. And he just felt that things didn't really add up. And so as he was gathering information, um, in his assessments, he learned things that weren't in any previous chart. And it led him to wonder again, was this even necessary and just because he was a student and only an LPN kind of feeling at the bottom right. of the totem pole. He just felt like he couldn't speak up about Had it. A place to question, And just... it's going to be laughed at almost. Right. And uh, I said, you know, I think it's worth it. Just talk with them about what you're, what you're seeing. And so he did. And he, he noticed that details in the previous assessments that had been done were, were different and they were also uniquely different in his assessment and he's just trying to figure out why they're all different in fact that was a reason why he got admitted to a psychiatric unit in the first place because he was given all these inconsistent histories and they thought he's just not coherent and he his, th- his thought process is not clear and there's something going on that we think is a psychiatric illness and so. Um, he found out that this patient was not from the United States, that he had moved here recently, was staying with a family member, and uh, that's when the event occurred that led to the hospitalization. And then as Sam got looking at it, he's, he thought, I wonder if, like, I don't see anyone thinking about his ability to speak English and understand English. Aww. So as he uh, got thinking about that, he said, you know, I'm going to suggest that to the team. So he did. They said, that's probably a good idea because we're kind of confused on what to do with this guy. He was on no medications. And so they uh, brought in an interpreter. And lo and behold, they get a very clear, rational explanation for all his behaviors, a very consistent history that he could report and then he's able to give not only that but he was able to give family contact information which then provided collateral information for the treatment team to find out more and find out that it all matched wow. and so soon after this happened this patient didn't have a psychiatric diagnosis anymore uh he was discharged from the unit Made a huge difference for this person, and then he he was able to go um, on with his uh, life. Like he wasn't stuck in a foreign country in a hospital, not really comprehending um, all the reasons for it, and not comprehending every any, everything that he did wrong. And so it was kind of interesting uh, to see the just a student going through this process of just noticing and. You are, some of the the students here are so far beyond what I was at their level. (laughs) Um, And I think that they just sometimes don't give themselves enough credit. And this process of just like noticing, and he did a lot of reflecting. I think that that really helped his ability to then go back to reflect again in process and to be able to really do some good for this person as a nursing student, you know, he's not even a graduate, and he's able to really benefit someone. Do you know how long the patient was in
0: the, the um, psychiatric ward then? For how long? I
3: it? recall. I think that it probably was at least a month. Wow. Maybe, maybe more towards six
0: weeks. Who's to know how much longer it would have taken for someone else to notice that? had it been for that nursing student it was on top of it.
3: Yeah, I just addressed culture and language, and that was all I took. Wow. Do you have any tips
0: for uh, nursing students on ways that they can, you know, be more like Sam, this previous nursing students,
3: and maybe notice more of the things that are happening around them? Um, I'll just highlight one. I think that a key is uh, reflection is really important because that's when you can slow things down a bit and go over what just happened, what your experience was. And that looks different, I think for um, for each person, for some, I think you know they they could keep some sort of a personal nursing school journal to just say, hey, here's what I'm learning about me. Um, and there's something interesting that happens when you slow things down and you just try and reflect on them in a non-judgmental, compassionate way. And it uh, helps you to be able to, then know where you might need to improve, where you're doing well, and it really helps you feel that you're growing, and no one likes to feel that they're just stagnant or even going backwards. And reflection looks different, I think, how people do that, but I know some nurses that do it at the end of their shift to try and figure out what could I have done um, a little differently to help or connect um, with someone or help them feel heard and seen um, or reflect on something really good that happened and how someone was impacted by that, how we could try to cultivate that again, um, those magic moments uh, with patients that's, that, that can happen. But either way, reflection is so important to try and figure out, to navigate how to move Forward, how to progress and improve some some small way but something about improvement that's good for the soul you just love it when it happens
0: yeah no definitely i love that's really practical advice i think that's something that'd be really helpful for our nurses but yeah well brandon thank you so much for coming on our podcast for sharing this amazing experience and some of your thoughts and and perspectives on uh the, psychi- the psychiatric world a little bit when it comes to nursing. That's something we don't talk about nearly as much as we should. And then I think it's having perspectives like yours and you're obviously helping students, you know, uh, bridge the gap between what's normal and familiar and what isn't. And then you're making good progress there. So thank you so much.
3: Yeah, for sure. It's for sure. And just one last thought on this Please. is that, um, uh, I teach, you know, a lot of mental health courses and if, if any listeners have like done a yoga class, <laughs> they've heard these kind of ideas, but they all support this kind of thinking that we're talking about with this model is just being aware, just pausing and noticing, like being aware of what am I feeling? What's going on? Why am I, I be feeling that and then, um, taking the, next step right is trying to interpret a little bit of what's my you know why might that be the case and sometimes you might know that sometimes you might not but then it is so key to just pause have stillness and just try and reflect and take time to see what is actually happening and then that's such good information and such good self-care because then you're in a position to hopefully be kind to yourself about what you notice because you'll notice things that you don't like or that you're embarrassed about um and you'll you'll notice sometimes things uh that you don't want to that you purposely don't think about um and it's good to notice those things to reflect on them and then you're in a position to say, all right, now I'm going to choose to be just curious and I'm going to choose to be compassionate with what I discover and uh, to be okay with what's there. And then it allows you to be able to process that and move in a positive direction forward because you're starting to think about things that you might not. <laughs> Normally. Um, so I don't know if that makes sense, but um, there's just like a lot of uh, Eastern medicine philosophy that's also um, in this model, uh, which does want us to just be aware and to be non judgmental and to be compassionate. And that's to ourselves, to other people. And that applies to a lot of situations when people are nasty to you or you're nasty to yourself. Um, you. Can gain so much by giving yourself some space and some, just extending the kind of compassion or kindness you would to someone else to yourself as you're reflecting on you know, who you are and and where you're going, um, and and then with that compassion, you can start to have some acceptance and you can move um, in some meaningful direction, but. <laughs> we get caught up i think in avoidance a lot
0: yeah that's really i think super important advice especially for the people that are interested in the career of nursing where it's very demanding emotionally and mentally and Mm -hmm. making some time to be mindful and practice mindfulness you know use these um use thatcher's clinical judgment model to just kind of make sure that you're okay your patients are okay that's really what nursing is all about but well, Ryan, thank you so much. Really appreciate your advice and your thoughts that you shared with us today.
3: Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time.
1: Thanks for that interview, Ryan. I think Brandon's story demonstrates um, the power of someone thinking in a new or particular way. This is like Tanner's model of clinical judgment when you focus on interpreting a situation to bring out the meaning of something.
0: Yeah, I think Tanner's model of clinical judgment has a lot of potential to do a lot of good for our nursing students. In fact, we set Donovan on the street to speak with BYU nursing students and ask them about interpreting and how they think like a nurse.
4: All right, who am I here with?
1: Hi, I'm Marin Cox. I'm a BYU nursing student and I'm from California.
4: Awesome. So I'm sure you know that the College of Nursing has adopted Tanner's critical judgment model to help you guys uh, respond more appropriately during your clinicals. So in terms of interpreting, how do you think like a nurse now?
1: Well, I interpret my patient's assessment findings to help plan my care. A lot of that is looking at their symptoms or maybe any sort of assessment or lab values that come back and seeing what we can prioritize and how we can best help them to recover or to be comfortable during the time that they're in the hospital.
4: That's perfect. Thank you. All right. Now, who am I here with?
1: Hi, uh, I'm Allison
4: Shaw. Uh, I'm also a BYU
1: nursing student. I'm from Minnesota.
4: Awesome. So in terms of interpreting, how do you think like a nurse now?
1: I plan my nursing care based upon evidence-based practices. Uh, For me, that means going out and finding scientific research that I think is relatively unbiased and trying to decipher what the researchers are trying to get at and trying to determine how I can apply that to my practice.
4: Nice. That's super important. So thank you very much. All right. Who am I here with now? Hi, I'm Allie Norris. Perfect. And where are you from? I'm from South Jordan, Utah. Nice. So for you, as you interpret, how do you think like a nurse now? I explore new options for care to meet my patient's needs. For example, if one intervention doesn't work, I try to find something different. Nice. Thank you very much. All right. Finally, who am I here with? My name is Cymbria Lewis, and
1: I'm from Murray, Utah.
4: Awesome. So in terms of interpreting, how do you think like a nurse now?
1: Um, I try to listen to my patients' concerns when I plan my nursing care. Um, One of the powers of being a nurse is that we're there at the bedside, and we are the ones that... Um, listen to the patient and take their concerns into account. And we do our best to either A, alleviate those concerns through education or B, finding alternative methods and routes and therapies that we could use that would improve their condition.
4: That's awesome. Thank you very much. As you guys can tell, our nurses are doing a great job of figuring out how to interpret and think like a nurse. Back to you guys in the studio.
0: Thanks, Donovan. I really enjoyed some of those thoughts and perspectives that the student shared. It's certainly significant how interpreting impacts patient care. From ensuring patient safety to detecting changes in patient status, analytic skills turn average nurses into professional and competent caretakers.
1: And it allows nurses, or in our case, students, to ensure patient safety, not only to provide medical care, but to protect their interests and safeguard them from harm. All right, well, that's all we have for you. Don't forget to tune in next week.
0: That's right. We'll have another amazing episode next Tuesday, wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you then.
1: Bye friends.